From the ESPN studios at Pier 17 in the Seaport District of New York City, this is Greeny with Mike Greenberg on ESPN Radio. You can also listen and watch the show on the ESPN app. Hey, 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 hey! Happy Friday, everybody! Dan Grasso in for Greeny. Ninth day of December, 2022. That's right, local vehicle. Right here on 98.7 ESPN. And be a part of Greeny Nation on the Dr. Pepper call-in line. Call us at 800-919-ESPN. That's 800-919-3776. ESPN Nation, presented by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice-cold Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. Ray Dinahan, Anthony Pusick, producing the program this morning. We'll take it for the next two hours. Right up until Barton Hahn at high noon. You get me on Twitter, at Dan Grasso, G-R-A-C-A. On this all-fired-up football Friday. Jets, Giants, division games on Sunday, big games, playoff pursuit, the whole nine yards. We got baseball. Yankees still trying to come to grips with the fact that, yeah, Aaron Judge is sticking around. Great event last night, by the way, over at the uh, New York Athletic Club, little get-together with the station, sponsors, clients, the whole nine yards. I was there. Anthony was there last night. Little Aaron Boone Q&A. Yankee skipper in the house, right, literally right off the plane from the winter meetings in San Diego. Right off the plane. But Booney was a good sport, great guy, um, and it was a good time. Good time had by all, and certainly he was relieved for the fact that number 99 will be sticking around for pretty much the rest of his baseball career in Yankee pinstripes. And, you know, was kind of playing a coy, right? I think that's the best way to put it when, you know, kind of wouldn't tip his hand one way or the other about who the Yankees were maybe targeting and maybe what other big moves they had in store the rest of this hot stove season. I guess only time will tell. We know that they're not done. We know the Mets aren't done, even though last night... They continue to spend, spend, spend. And it's funny because, so Michael and Aaron Boone are doing the Q&A. And we're just sitting there in the chairs and, you know, watching this whole thing. And it was a good time. Then all of a sudden, all the text messages start happening. And people are taking out the phones. And I'm thinking, what the heck is going on? And then it was Michael, of all people that I guess was on this text chain, which, by the way, Anthony, somebody needs to explain to me why I wasn't on the text chain. Like, I saw, like, all these, everybody pulling out the front. I wasn't on the chain. Well, I never got it from them. I was on a different chain. You were on it. So there were multiple chains. Yeah. I don't know where Michael was getting his information from. Multiple text chains, station employees, and I wasn't on either one of them. Can though. I be honest with you? Yeah. I think, I think Jeff was texting Michael directly. Jeff Passan. I was going to say, is that what not it was? Not Scopin, Passan. Was I was trying to think of the Jeff. I was like, it can't be Wilpon no, because no, he's not involved Jeff, anymore. I, I don't think Jeff's that involved anymore. No. No, I, I, I was on a different chain, actually with the B&H guys, um, Barton Hahn, and they were sending it. Um, really? And that, and then I guess RJ was probably on one with his show, DPH1 Rothenberg, did a great job this morning. Bad break for Ray and... Uh, Ray and Rick picking the Raiders last well, night. I mean, oh, you, you, we could get to that a little bit later on. But but then I looked over. Then I that's and then I had to show you. And then you turned around and then you showed me your phone and then I I, I almost lost it. But then I looked over and I saw John Winthrop's phone. And you know, like on if you have the iPhone, like on the top, it tells you like all the you see the little circles, like the little icons of how many people are like on the text chain. John's it looked like there were basically like we were looking at the the constellations in the, the solar system. A lot of people. There was like thirty seven little circles on the top of his phone, and I, I wasn't one of those thirty seven. Do you think circles. Stephen A was on that chain? Probably. Stephen A was probably probably. On that chain. You know, 
I mean, you want, we could go back into the history of the station 20 years and, and some of the people that have worked here. They were probably on that chain, and I wasn't. I was in the room, literally, and I didn't know. But thank, thankfully, you turned around and you showed me the fact that Brandon Nimmo was sticking around and sticking around for eight years and $162 million, which is, I mean, I would say pretty impressive. You know, and yesterday when we were talking about this offseason for these two baseball teams, about what had to be done, we told you, you know what, there's still work to be done, certainly from the Mets side of things, particularly on offense. Because despite the fact they're throwing around hundreds of millions of dollars and bringing in Justin Verlander, bringing in this guy, bringing in that guy, like, have the Mets really gotten better? And you almost were kind of under the impression that Brandon Nimmo wasn't even going to be back with the team. Off of a phenomenal season last year, a guy who really established himself as somebody that's really, really important to this club. And for an offense which I still felt needed to be upgraded and needed to be improved, the threat of losing him then just makes you weaker in multiple spots. You know, because then they talk about all the possibility of shifting Starling Marte over to center field, and you wonder, could he still play center field at this stage of his career, and can he stay healthy because it's a little bit more taxing on you? And then you got to go out there and get yourself a corner outfielder, and they're talking about bringing back a former Met outfielder. No, not Daryl Strawberry, but Michael Conforto, who hasn't played in a couple of years, and we don't even know if he's capable, and on and on and on and on and on. But I didn't think that Nimmo was going to be a Met. You know, even 24 hours ago, I thought he was heading up north. I just thought because the Blue Jays have been pretty quiet this offseason, and maybe they're kind of collecting all their acorns, and they were going to throw it at Brandon Nimmo. And then when I saw that thing, and they said, in $162 million. I mean, number one, I was surprised it was the Mets that he ended up going back. Number two, I'm surprised it was the money, even for Steve Cohen. And Steve Cohen's got more money than God. But the Scott Boris factor is something that clearly... Clearly was always going to factor into this. And you know what Scott Boris does? He gets his clients the most money. It doesn't matter even if it's the best situation. I mean, he'll send them, you know, out to the middle of nowhere. He'll send them to a different planet. He'll send them to Jupiter, for crying out loud. But if they're going to pay the most money, that's where the guy is going to sign. And when, oh when, over the years watching Brandon Nimmo, did you ever think, like, if I would have told you three, four years ago, you know what, Brandon Nimmo, when he signs his big free agent contract, he's going to get himself $162 million. A hundred, and even in today's day and age, when salaries are just completely out of this world in Major League Baseball and are completely just nuts, even for a guy like Brandon Nimmo, I mean, think about this. That contract is the second richest in franchise history. The New York Mets, Francisco Lindor, And Brandon Nimmo, think about all the great players. Now, I understand. Times change. But even more recently, Brandon Nimmo has the second richest contract in the history of the New York Mets in terms of total value. How about that? That's a homegrown ball player right there. First round pick out of Wyoming. Improves. Starts to really become a focal point of this offense. Table setter, the whole nine yards. And now he's sticking around. Full no trade clause. And the Met payroll right now is at 330 million bucks. Give or take. As we speak. You know what? Damn the Steve Cohen tax. Damn the number. He's going to pay it. And it really goes back to what we've been talking about. If you're the Mets 
And you're going to be paying Justin Verlander for $43 million in change this year. And Max Scherzer for $43 million in change this year. And both of those guys are about, you know, a couple of months or a couple of years away from being in walkers, much less being aces to a championship caliber pitching staff. But if you got those guys there, you're trying to win a World Series. You're going all in right now. That's why you damn the payroll and whatever number it is. Steve Cohen's got the money. Use it. Try to win. And that's what he's doing. And that's what he's doing. They add to the pen with David Robertson. You know, just as we got done there with the scuttlebutt and everything about Brandon Nimmo, then it's five minutes later. Oh, by the way, they got David Robertson too. Oh, really? How about that? $10 million bucks. Now, the problem with David Robertson is that's a guy that they should have got last year at the trade deadline. You know, he would have helped out a lot more than the guy that they got from Belbiv DeVoe, who didn't really do all that much. I know, Givens, not Bivens. I know, it's a funny, it's a haha. I get it. Might as well have gotten the guys from Belbiv DeVoe. They probably would have contributed more on the mound. And look, I like the Robertson move. And the Mets have to remake this bullpen a little bit. It doesn't sound like Seth Lugo's coming back. Because, see, the problem with Seth Lugo is he wants to start. Seth wants to start the games. He doesn't want to come in when the game is already, like, you know, two hours old. It gets boring for him. And there's a couple of teams out there that may give him the opportunity to at least be a starter. I mean, now you're even hearing that the Dodgers are interested in Seth Lugo. You know, and he's probably going to take a look at that and look at that opportunity more than coming back to the Mets and being just like a setup guy out of that bullpen. You know, Ladovino is still out there. Trevor May is still out there. And Trevor May, you know, please, he can go. He can go play his video games and do whatever the hell he does somewhere else. I'm done with Trevor May. But Robertson is a good pickup. He's actually better against lefties if you want to talk about the matchups. And Billy Epler knows him from the Yankee days when they were together. I like the David Robertson move. That's a good, solid addition to the bullpen. But the Mets aren't done. You know, I think we can all agree on that. You still need to get another starting pitcher. Now, whether that's Kodai Senga, whether that's one of these other guys that are still out there. I I mean, I think, you know, even though it's Steve Cohen money, apparently Chris Bassett wants three years, four years and maybe a little bit more than the Mets are willing to commit for where he would slot into the starting rotation. I'd love to have Bassett back, despite the fact that his last game didn't go all so well against the Padres in the wild card round. I'd still take him back. You still got to bring in another bullpen arm or two. You know, I I would have no problem if Adovino returns. Like him a lot. And they still need another bat. You know, because at the end of the day, despite... Your $330 million payroll, and despite all these additions and everything that they've done so far this season, I asked the same question that we debated yesterday. Are the Mets really and truly better than when they walked off that field against the San Diego Padres? And I can't say that they are. You know? Like, what have they done? They swapped out Jacob DeGrom and they put in Justin Verlander. They swapped out Taiwan Walker and they brought in Jose Quintana. Right? Like, what else have they done? They re-signed a guy who they could ill afford to lose in Brandon Nimmo. So, you know, they added, you know, Brooks Raley out of the bullpen or whatever. And David Roberts said, okay, that's great. How are they getting better? How are they improving? Because all I know is that the Philadelphia Phillies, in their own division, went to a World Series last year and got better. The Atlanta Braves... Even though they didn't go to the World Series, they still won the division for the, what, fourth or fifth straight year? I'm, I'm losing track. It's like the 90s all over again. The Braves are still a better team than the Mets. 
So you're throwing all this money around. That's great. But how are you actually closing the gap? Just as we talk about with the Yankees and how they have to close the gap with the Houston Astros in the American League, the Mets have to do exactly that with the Atlanta Braves. And oh, by the way, a funny thing happened along the way, and it's called the Philadelphia Phillies. Mets still got some work to do. Steve Cohen, keep the checkbook out. 800-919-3776, that is the telephone number. A little bit later on in the show, speaking of the Mets, I don't know if you got a chance to see or hear any of the Jacob deGrom introductory press conference yesterday with the Texas Rangers. That was a real hoot. That was a real hoot. Jake was deceiving the fans as well as he deceives the hitters 60 feet, 6 inches away. I mean, come on, Jake. We'll share some of that with you a little bit later on. Plus your phone calls. We'll get into all the football. As a matter of fact, when we come back, we are going to do a little bit of football. Former Jets safety, our good pal Eric Coleman, now part of MSG Networks. He will join us to talk a little Jets, a little Giants, a little NFL as we get ready. Well, actually, you know what? We already embarked on week 14. Last night on Thursday night. With the LA Rams and Baker Mayfield, who basically has been on the team for about two days, knows about five plays, and it was still enough to come from behind and beat the Raiders last night. You know, blow the whole thing up in Las Vegas, really. What an absolute disaster. Total disaster. Big, big football weekend for the two locals here in NYC. Giants home for the Philadelphia Eagles. Jets home, or Jets on the road, I should say. They can't both be home. They're not going to be playing in the same time. Jets are in Buffalo to take on the Bills. First place in sight for the green and white. Probably a little bit more realistic for them than it is for the Giants, but still. Playoffs certainly to be attained, and wins this week would help both of the clubs. Helping us talk a little football is one of our favorites. He used to be part of the uh, Jet pre- and post-game coverage here on 98.7. Also, you saw him in the green and white uniform for the longest time, and now he's a sports betting analyst on MSG Networks. He is, of course, the great Eric Coleman, and you can catch him on the betting exchange every Monday through Thursday at 5.30 p.m. on MSG Networks, as well as every Friday at 5 p.m. on Odds With Ends, the network's weekly sports betting show during the NFL season, and he joins us now. E, long time no chat, my friend. Brandon, look at you. You're Mr. Busy Guy. How's things? Man, I'm doing great. It's great to, to sit here and talk with you. I'm excited about this weekend's football schedule. A lot of big-time matchups. We haven't talked this year yet, you and I. What do you think about this Jet football team? You know what? I really like the team. They're, they're young. They're hungry. Uh, and, and they really have taken on the persona of Robert Sala. Uh, you know, with that, that all-gas, no-breaks mentality. I mean, you look at the defense. Uh, they, they play with their hair on fire. You, you see 11 hats of the ball um, every every play. You know, these guys are tenacious. They add in a lot of talent uh, with Sauce Gardner, DJ Reed. Uh, they're doing a great job on the back end. But that defensive line has been dominant. And that's really, uh, the, the I guess, the linchpin for their success on defense. Uh, so it's been exciting to watch. What do you think about the Mike White phenomenon? It's only been a couple of games, at least so far this year, and another big test coming up Sunday going to Buffalo. will tell us a little bit more here, but why do you think this team has taken to him like they have? You know, I, I love the Mike White phenomenon, and I think the team has taken to Mike White because uh, he, he's a humble guy. He does a, a great job of, of just doing his job. You know, he, he scans the defense. He does a great job of reading the defense. And he's, he's getting the ball to the open receivers. And, you know, he just has an infectious personality. Uh, you know, it, it's great to see that offensive line, the tight ends, everyone wearing the Mike White shirts. Uh, you know, I know uh, Garrett Wilson is excited. He's, he's been eating well <laughs> since Mike White took over at quarterback. So it's, uh, it's been, a, I guess, a shot of, 
of, of adrenaline for this offense for the Jets. And, uh, and yes, he did slow down last week, but I still like the progress that I saw with Mike White at quarterback. And they're playing meaningful games in the month of December, and, and you know quite well that you know that hasn't happened here for quite some time, at least as far as the Jets are concerned. Do you think that he has to be the guy for the rest of this season, at least, if this team is indeed going to make a playoff run here? I do think he's going to be uh, the quarterback for the rest of the season, and he's going to be the key uh, to them advancing to the playoffs that they do. Uh, but they are going to have to run the football uh, more consistently. Uh, the defense has been outstanding, but you need to find a way uh, to give them a break, to, to control that clock, uh, get that time of possession up, and then just take care of the ball. You know, the, the two turnovers last week um, were unfortunate, but those, those turnovers hurt you as a defense. They hurt you as a team. So as long as he can take care of the football and continue to read defenses and, and get the ball out to to all of his receivers the way he's done. Uh, I don't see any reason why he should not be the quarterback for the remainder of the season. Talking football here with former Jets safety Eric Coleman on 98.7 ESPN. Now we know that the Jets beat the Buffalo Bills just a few weeks ago in MetLife Stadium and that was with Zach Wilson as their quarterback. Now you go back up to Buffalo with Mike White and we know that Mike White struggled against the Bills a year ago when he had the four interception game but how do you assess the Jets chances going up into the enemy territory this week? and you know it's going to be a Bills team that's going to be out for revenge. Do you give them a good shot on Sunday? I do give the Jets a good shot on Sunday, and mainly because of that defensive line. Uh, They've been getting after it. That was the the key to the success the last time these two teams played. Uh, Josh Allen spent a lot of time on his back. Uh, he was, you know, off target because of the pressure that the defensive line created. Quinnen Williams um, had been a, has done a great job this season. Has 10 sacks for a defensive tackle. Uh, what a phenomenal year. So uh, I think if they can continue with the pressure on Josh Allen to make things uncomfortable and continue with that blanket coverage on the back end, it's going to give uh, this Jets team a chance. You know, now they're going to have to put up some points against a very tough defense. But I, and I think the key to that is, is running the football. Uh, you can't have Mike White throwing the ball 57 times uh, like he did last week. I think you have to run the football more effectively and find find those opportunities in the passing game later. But uh, definitely is going to be uh, decided by that defensive line. And can they get? Can they make Josh Allen uncomfortable? the whole game. Run game is huge. I agree with you, you know, especially the way the Jets cemented that victory back at the Meadowlands. You know, they ran the football on that one drive there in the fourth quarter, setting up the go-ahead field goal. I think that's going to be a big part of it, certainly when you talk about Sunday. I agree with you. Now, on the flip side, Eric, you look at the Giants and, you know, they might even be more of a surprise than the Jets this year. You know, Brian Dayball, first year as the head coach, new GM and Joe Shane, and this was a rebuilding year. You know, the talent, when you look at 1-53, through probably not one of the most talented groups in the NFL but you play smart football you're well coached you can go out there and give yourself a chance to win each and every Sunday and I guess the Giants have done that here pretty much through what 12 games of the season why stop now Exactly, and they've done a great – Brian Dayball and his staff have done a great job of coaching this team. They they are playing very disciplined football. And, you know, you're starting to see as the season goes along the the lack of talent that they have, but they play smart, they play tough, and they play hard. And it it always helps when you have a new coach coming in uh, that creates a new culture and you have success listening to that coach. Uh, Brian Dayball has shown that if you follow my plan, we may not have the, the talent there yet, but if you follow the plan, we can be a successful team. And uh, you, you look up the draft, free agency coming up next year. This Giants team is going to be uh, something to reckon with in the NFC East. Uh, they're having a great year so far this year. If they can get Saquon back on track, running like he was at the beginning of the year, I think that's going to be the key to them you know, winning these next 
couple of games down the stretch in December. I agree with you. And look, they've been decimated with injuries. We know that. I mean, it seems like a revolving door, whether it's the offensive line, the wide receiver group, all season. But the bell cow has been Saquon, right? When they've been at their best, when the offense has been good enough to win games, it's because they were running the football effectively. He's maybe slowed up a little bit here over the last couple of weeks. What are you seeing from him? Do you think that it's the wear and tear? Do you think that some of the other injuries along that offense are contributing to the way defenses are playing them? Why do you think Saquon is maybe the production has tailed off a little bit with him? Well, it is definitely the wear and tear. You know, it's a long season, and Saquon is getting a ton of carries. So I think it's wear and tear. There's a lot of injuries on that offensive line. Uh, but as a defense, you know, if you're if I'm playing against uh, the New York Giants, the first key to the game is going to be to stop Saquon Barkley. And so teams are keying in on Saquon, forcing the Giants to beat them other ways, uh, whether it's Daniel Jones using his legs or forcing him to throw the ball through the air. That's really the key if you're playing against this Giants defense. Stop Saquon first and make them beat you any other way. Daniel Jones, big year for him, of course. Giants are going to have to decide in the offseason if they want to move forward with him as their quarterback. Have you seen enough, one way or the other, to decide if Daniel Jones is indeed the guy at the most important position for this Giants franchise in the years to come? Yeah, I think Daniel Jones has done a great job of doing what the coaches asked him to do. You know, he's delivering the ball well, uh, you know, converting third downs. He's using his legs. You know, that's that's something that's not to be frowned upon. This is a weapon that you have. He does a great job of using them and being effective. You know, when you look at the the quarterbacks that are going to be in free agency next year, I think Daniel Jones may be the best option. You know, you have the Jameis Winstons of the world. Um, The guys who are really not proven, uh, Andy Dalton, uh, I think is going to be a free agent. When you look at the Giants, you have a quarterback who's continued to grow and do what you've asked him to do. You know he can play under the pressure of New York, and, uh, and I think things are just going to get better as you add more weapons to this Giants offense. Eric Coleman joining us here on 98.7 ESPN. Speaking of quarterbacks, you know, we talked about Mike White with the Jets. Zach Wilson was drafted to be the guy. Second overall, and now we know that he's lost his job for the moment, at least, to Mike White here. Do you think the Zach Wilson situation with the Jets, Eric, is salvageable? Do you think that he still can be the franchise quarterback that they drafted him to be? I think it can potentially be salvageable. But Daniel, uh, excuse me, Zach has to um, take this opportunity and look himself in the mirror and, and figure out, you know, what kind of player does he want to be? You know, is he going to be hold himself accountable? Is he going to uh, grow as a quarterback? You know, the, the growth part, the maturity part is something that, that he needs to have. He's a young guy. He's a young man. He's very talented. There's a, he has a bright future ahead of him. But uh, he's going to have to figure out who he wants to be as a quarterback and if he wants to be the quarterback of the New York Jets for the future. You know, that whole locker room is behind Mike White. You know, it seems like they gravitate towards him. He's just a regular guy. You know, everybody in that room believes in what he's doing as a player and a former player. Is that something that you can relate to? Maybe not necessarily if it was with a quarterback, but can you understand that line of thinking from a locker room perspective that maybe they just get behind? one guy more than another, let's say? Absolutely. I mean, the players are the, are the ones that they, they work in the offseason. They, they, they practice hard. They, they're in meetings. They know who's working hard. They know who um, deserves an opportunity. Uh, you know, when you get in these situations, 
you know, a lot of times draft picks, uh, how much money the player makes, that decides whether that player starts or not. But when you see a guy who's struggled, he's, who's worked hard, done it the right way, and he starts to see the rewards, you're happy for that guy. And I think that's what you're seeing with the Jets locker room. They're, they're genuinely happy for Mike White and the work that he's put in as a quarterback, as a leader on this team. And to see that success, everyone's getting behind it. It's, it's great to see. Let me ask you a couple of things about uh, the rest of the league here. San Francisco, for example, they have the Jimmy Garoppolo injury last week. Now, they're in first place in the NFC West, but you know the way they're constructed, defense, running the football, you know, they have as good a shot as anybody to even get back to a Super Bowl this year. Do you think that these plans are now going to be derailed because Jimmy's hurt and Brock Purdy is in? They can't, they could be derailed, but the way that the defense is playing for San Francisco, uh, Bosa, you know, 14 and a half sacks uh, on the back end. They're not giving up any big plays. They're creating turnovers. Uh, the way that defense is, is structured, the way that team is structured, you pretty much just don't have to make mistakes. Uh, you know, Brock Purdy is a guy who has a lot of pressure taken off him by having Christian McCaffrey, who you can hand the ball off to, Debo Samuel and George Kittle, who you can just dump off checkdowns to, and they can create big plays. This offense is not generated off of a quarterback making big plays. He's generated off them giving the ball in the, in, to their playmakers in space and allowing them to make those big plays, and that's what they've done. I think they're going to continue to be successful just because of the talent, the defense, and, and the, the, the big-time playmakers they have on that offense in San Francisco. All right, neither team is going anywhere this year, but explain to me how something like last night happens where you have Baker Mayfield – who literally was picked up off the street by the Rams a couple of days ago. He's, what, had one or two practices. He maybe only knows a handful of plays. How the hell does he go in there, Eric, and lead the Rams from two scores down to beat the Raiders in that situation? I mean, explain that to me. (laughs) I'm still trying to figure that out. It it was unbelievable to watch him run. I mean, a 98-yard drive with a minute 45 left. Uh, Baker just comes in and starts slinging the ball. And, you know, I I think sometimes – players overthink and Baker wasn't allowed to overthink. He doesn't know any of this offense. All he knows is I'm going to find who's open and I'm going to let it loose. And if, and if I throw an interception, he was kind of throw, playing with the house's money. If he throws an interception, it's kind of expected. You know, he's only had one walkthrough, uh, but he didn't. He was on fire. He got a nice relationship with some of those receivers. Van Jefferson made a great catch, and it was so awesome to see. And the guy comes in off a plane, one walkthrough practice. He has a playbook on the plane, uh, but to come in and play like that, uh, I'm really happy for Baker. He's been through a lot these last couple of years, and hopefully he's found himself a home in Los Angeles. All right, we'll close out on this one. Jets and Giants, both make the playoffs. One of them makes the playoffs. None of them make the playoffs. What's happening? Oh, man, the, the Jets are making the playoffs. They're, they're going to make a nice little run. Um, the Giants, listen, they, they may not make the playoffs, but it's still a successful season for them. Uh, they're going to continue uh, to grow as a team. They have a tough schedule coming up. The league's toughest remaining schedule. Uh, so the road is tougher for the Giants, but I think the Jets have enough talent, uh, enough fight to get through and make that wild card position. All in front of them, certainly for both of these teams over the next five weeks. You can catch Eric Coleman on the betting exchange every Monday through Thursday at 5.30 p.m. on MSG Networks, as well as every Friday at 5 on Odds With Ends, the network's weekly sports betting show during the NFL season. E, it was great to catch up, my friend. Really appreciate a couple of minutes. Happy holidays to you and the family, and we'll do it again soon. All right, brother? All right, sounds good. Thanks for having me, Dan. All right, be good, bud. There's Eric Coleman, former Jets safety, talking a little football. So there he goes. He thinks the Jets are in. Giants maybe not so much. 
Got to get into a lot of the football stuff on this big football Friday, of course. But before we do all that... Got to let you know that Starting Stronger starts, well, at AutoZone, where they've got battery solutions in the form of free battery testing, free battery charging, and replacement batteries that fit your needs. That's what makes them America's number one battery destination. Get in the zone, AutoZone. And for all the ones who get it done, Granger is here for you, and they're always there to help. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, along with 24-7 support, experienced staff, and curbside pickup at over 250 local branches. And you can't, and you can get free access to product specialists ready to help you track down hard-to-find items. Plus, Granger's commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call 1-800-GRANGER, click Granger.com, or just stop by. And it is indeed a big weekend for these two football teams. And, you know, you got to go back years and years and years and years and years and years since we had an opportunity here in December to talk about the Giants and to talk about the Jets both playing meaningful games on the same day. And it's nice, isn't it? You know, and the Giants, look, I'm still a little bit more rosy on their prospects this year of at least getting into the playoffs maybe than others are. Like you heard Eric say, like he didn't think the Giants are going to get into the playoffs. Here's the thing that the Giants have working in their favor. If not them, then who? Right? Because look at the rest of the NFC right now. Like, if you want to... Giants aren't winning the division. Look at the wild card right now. Dallas, Giants, Washington, Seattle. Three of them are going to go to the playoffs. One of them isn't. And that's why that tie on Sunday, as crazy as it seemed... Now, look, would a win have been better? Absolutely. But that's why that tie really might not be the worst thing in the world when you're talking about the Giants. Because 7-4-1... and one, is still ahead of the Washington Commanders. 7-4-1 is still ahead of the 7-5 Seattle Seahawks. And you don't have a tiebreaker against Seattle. And he got an opportunity in a couple of weeks when you go back down to D.C. and you got to play Washington again to take care of business and maybe potentially at least put them behind you to where you don't have to worry about them. Because if you beat Washington down at their place, you got the tiebreaker. Right? You played two games, you tied one, you won one. That is your advantage. So I still think the Giants are getting in. And maybe I'm a little bit more optimistic than others are, but I still think that they will find their way in. And you know what? Maybe more of that is because the NFC stinks. Right? I don't look. Do I think the Giants are going to beat Philadelphia this week? No, I do not. I want to see them play well. I just don't want to see them get blown out. Play a good full four quarters. I know there's going to be a lot of Philly fans in the building. That's the case each and every single time. I totally get it. But just go out there and don't shoot yourself in the foot. Don't make mistakes. See if you can get Saquon going in the running game because that, to me, is really what is going to be key for the Giants to get this going. And forget about the running game. You know, Saquon was asked, as a matter of fact, the other day if he would like to be used a little bit more when it comes to catching passes and being in the pass game. I don't know. I'm really not too caught up in that. I'm willing to do whatever the team wants me to do. And, you know, when the opportunity presents itself, I got to try to be there and make the plays. And that's the only thing I can really focus on. But Cass, Daves, all those guys, every week find creative ways to not only get myself the ball, but put our offense in a, in a spot to be successful. And that's the only thing that matters. And at the end of the day, on players, we got to go out there and execute. And that's the only, you know, that's my main focus. The ironic part about it is, though, is that Saquon is actually the Giants' leading receiver. 
Like in, in terms of catches. He's got 40 grabs this year, but that's because the Giants' wide receiving unit this year has basically been a game of musical chairs. You know, one guy's in one week, that guy's out the next week. Then somebody else, then they got his cousin, and then they signed this guy off the street, and then the next door neighbor. I mean, they're just trying anybody, literally, all season long to try to make it work. You know, they would put Odell Beckham out there on one leg and a pair of crutches if they could just because they're that depleted at the position. And it's almost a miracle that we're sitting here actually talking about a football team that has a chance to make the playoffs. But the same question was posed to Mike Kafka, the offensive coordinator of the Giants, about Saquon and why he isn't used a little bit more when it comes to the aerial attack. Each week, you know, we, we talk about those things and how we can get them in the, in the most ideal premier look. And probably hasn't just shown up as much as we'd probably like to. But, you know, those things present themselves each, each and every week. And that's what, we, that's what we look for as a staff, how we can get those things done over and over and over again. So that's part of our evaluation process on the week to week. It's all right in front of this football team. It really and truly is. 10 has always been the number. See, that doesn't change with the Jets or the Giants. 10 is the number that you want to get to. Do I like their chances this week? No, I do not. Can they go down to Washington and win next Sunday night? Yes, they can. Absolutely. Can they go into Minnesota and win? I mean, they can win, but we'll see where Minnesota's at in a couple of weeks. They're not going to be favored in that game. Indianapolis at home, I mean, look, if you can't beat Indianapolis at home on New Year's Day, you don't deserve to make the playoffs. It's as simple as that. They have no idea what they're doing. I don't even think that Indianapolis is trying to win, to be quite honest with you. They may make it as if they're trying to win. It doesn't seem like it to me. They're worrying about a draft choice. They're worrying about picking as high as they possibly can so they could select the next quarterback, the guy who's going to finally take over for Matt Ryan, and then they're going to go worry about getting a new head coach in the offseason. And enough with this Jeff Saturday charade. Enough is enough is enough. And then that Week 18 game against Philadelphia down at Lincoln Financial Field. That is a game that, for all intents and purposes, probably, I will say, is going to mean nothing for the Eagles. They'll probably have the number one overall seed locked up already by that point. So you best bet that Nick Sirianni is probably not going to be playing his guys for all four quarters. Hell, he might not even play them at all. You might, Or maybe you get like Jalen Hurts for a series just to get the blood flowing a little bit. So if the game means a lot more to the Giants, you'd have to likely think that, all right, that's an opportunity for you to take a win that they're giving you and to put it in the win column to help you get to the postseason. So are there three more victories there? Sure. Absolutely. But that tie, depending on what happens with Washington here, that tie might actually be beneficial to you to where maybe you sneak in at 9-7-1. Instead of 10 and 7. Maybe that's going to be good enough as long as you're ahead of Washington. Because there's no other viable threat in the NFC. So if da- let's just say for argument's sake, Dallas, Giants, Seattle are the three wild cards. As long as you're ahead of Washington, you get a spot. You're in. So maybe even nine is all it takes. Right? Beat either Washington on the road or Philadelphia in what's going to be a meaningless game for the Eagles in week 18 as one of your wins, and then beat the Colts at home. You might go to the playoffs. What did Washington have the rest of the way? Let's see Washington's schedule here. 7-5-1. and one. They got the bye this week, and then they play the Giants again. Then they go to San Francisco, and I know that Garoppolo's out, but you know what? That's still a tough game for them to go all the way out there. 
Then they got the Browns at home. Remember, that's Deshaun Watson. And I think by New Year's Day, he's going to learn to not be spiking the ball three yards in front of his intended targets. And then they play the Cowboys in that final game of the season. Tricky. I could see Washington winning any of those games. I could see them losing any of those games. But the bottom line is I still think the Giants are in good shape the rest of the way when you're talking about trying to steal a playoff berth. Jets, on the other hand, maybe not as complicated, but still the opportunity is right there for them. Because I think the AFC from top to bottom is a lot better than the NFC is. Goes without saying. And I think depending on what happens on Sunday, you can maybe start to alter your outlook about what this team could potentially achieve. Like, Jets are playing the Bills at 1 o'clock this week. Jets win the game. Then I think you look as a fan at the Sunday nighter between Miami and the Chargers a little bit differently. If the Jets win, I think you then root for the Chargers to win that game on Sunday night. Because if that's the case, if both of those things are true, then you leapfrog the Miami Dolphins into second place in the division based on tiebreakers. And you're only going to be a game back of Buffalo for first place, and you have a tiebreaker over Buffalo. So I think winning the division is in play if you could get this one this week. Now, if you don't beat the Bills, I think you find yourself in a situation on Sunday night to where you root for the Dolphins. Because then maybe a little bit more realistically, you have to shift your attention to maybe getting in as a wild card. And if that's the case, Chargers, Patriots are the two teams you're going to have to start to root against pretty regularly. Because they're below you right now, and that is where you want to keep them. Right? It's kind of just, get me in. And maybe we'll be that team that nobody wants to play. And maybe we'll be that team that could do some damage. I mean, that's what you got to hope for because that's going to be your only alternative. You don't be the Bills this week, you're not winning the division. It's as simple as that. And this is a Jet team that just a few weeks ago beat Buffalo and took it to them and won a physical game, had the run game going, played good defense, forced Josh Allen into a couple of miscues, something that absolutely they're going to have to do again if they want to win this football game, and I don't think that that is out of the question from happening. I think it's certainly feasible. And if you look at this Jets squad, just by a matter of a few weeks, I think they're in a different situation than they were back in that game at the Meadowlands, starting at the quarterback position. Remember, Jets beat the Buffalo Bills with Zach Wilson. And Zach really didn't do all that much that day, but he didn't make any critical mistakes. I know he had the one fumble, When Von Miller got him from behind, and oh, by the way, Von Miller's not playing in this football game. You know, it doesn't sound like Matt Milano will be able to go this week. They're really good linebacker who didn't play in that first game for the Buffalo Bills. You know, Jets have George Fan at right tackle instead of Cedric Abui. Corey Davis is going to play in this game. He didn't play in that first game. Elijah Moore was still, from a receiver standpoint, in witness protection in that first game. Now Elijah Moore's involved in this offense. Bam Knight wasn't running the football in that first game. Wasn't even active yet. Bam Knight figures to be a big part of the game plan this week. So if you just want to base it off of what's on paper, who's available, matchups, that sort of thing, Jets might even be a better football team on paper than the one that beat the Buffalo Bills a few weeks ago. More than anything else, I'm kind of surprised 
that the folks in Vegas are giving the Jets as little respect as they are. Nine and a half points? That's what they're giving the Jets? Nine and a half? Is that, is that the same number, Anthony? Has it moved at all, or is it still stuck there at nine and a half? Because that is a hell of a lot of points. I mean, I'm not a betting man, but if I was, I, I mean, you take that and run. Jets are a good football team. Ten. Even more so. Even more so to make it happen. And maybe some of that has to do with the fact that, you know, maybe they don't believe in Mike White. Maybe they think that Mike White is going to be the guy who's going to throw the four interceptions again against Buffalo Bills like he did last year. Remember that? And that was really the... That was all we saw of Mike White from that point on until a couple of weeks ago. How about Mike, though? Does he have something to prove going out there and playing this same Buffalo Bills team again? How about Mike White? What does this game mean for him? It's a good opportunity. Uh, obviously, new team, both sides of the ball. and Like I said earlier, I've, I've learned a lot from it, but but tried to... I've tried my best to close the, the book on that and then move on. And, and uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a really good test for the team. It's uh, obviously a tough place to play, very good team. that They're rolling right now, so it's, it's going to be a battle, and uh, looking forward to it. And what about getting caught up in all the, the, the revenge side of things? I think it goes back to how I said before, you can't play hero ball, and it's you can't go in there thinking that, all right, I want I want revenge from what happened last year. What happened last year is over with. It's it's done with. It's it's got to move on from it. It's a different different scenario, different team, and and, and uh, yeah. I mean, I think you can easily fall into that. And me personally, I'm gonna do my best to make sure that doesn't happen. That's Mike White. I think he'll play certainly a hell of a lot better than he did against the Bills last year. He's a different player. He's got a different team around him. You get a better performance. 